This is the end, beautiful friend. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned. Look out! Quick, get it back up! Hurry! We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned. Are we all clear? Oh, okay, we're all clear. Great. All right, hit the red button. No, not that button! The tremendous energy Ultraman gets from the sun diminishes rapidly in Earth's atmosphere. The warning light begins to blink. Should it stop completely, it will mean Ultraman will never rise again. Let's close it up. We're going in, we're going in full throttle. That'll keep those spiders off our back. Right with you, boss. It's the end. But the moment has been prepared for. Greetings and welcome to War Council. Probably the last episode of a hobby-centered podcast for wargamers and wargaming enthusiasts who use miniatures. My name is Edward Winterrose. This is... Uh, Hunter Postion. And today we are going to be talking about some of what's new coming out on the Warhammer community page. We have the Blood Angels Dawnbreaker cohort. Yep. We're also going to be talking about the Dark Angels miniature for the Primaris version of Master Lazarus. And of course, we've also got the book for Ritual of the Damned and the Psychic Awakening as well. Let's see here. We also will have Hunter talking a little bit to us about Dark Angels, Grey Knights, and the Thousand Suns, also kind of related to the Ritual of the Damned. I also wanted to know a little bit more about Magnus the Red, which didn't actually have a chance to read up on all that much. I saw that he was a great big bestial sort of fella. Well... That was after he turned to chaos, but he was always oh, red. <laughs> he was always red? Yes. Like, red-skinned and everything? This is the reason why he was called the Red Cyclops, or the Crimson King. Oh, okay. This is the Crimson King, it wasn't Red Cyclops. If I am able to get it recorded, but well, we haven't finished recording the podcast yet, but if I get the chance, I will probably do a reading of Piercing Eyes from the Warhammer community site, and that will be coming up in just a moment. Here's the thing about when What's New Pussycat plays. What's New Pussycat? Alright, welcome back. We're going to get into what's new here, the last what's new we're going to do for the show, at least unless they're going to have us record any more. It's always possible. Let's not cut anything out, but for the moment, let's assume not. I did hear on Friday before I left for the weekend and saw Star Wars and things that there was going to be kind of a reboot of Age of Sigmar. Or, excuse me, not Age of Sigmar, but pre-Age of Sigmar Warhammer Fantasy. Yes, Warhammer Fantasy has actually been growing more popular than ever thanks to the video games that have been released in recent years. We have Total War 2 Warhammer. We have uh, Vermintide 1 and 2, which is sort of like a Left 4 Dead zombie shooter, but instead of zombies, you're shooting plague rat people. Oh. 
Yeah. They're, they're not nice. For the audience here, I keep fancy rats, and my wife and I both love all the mischiefs we've ever had. But go ahead. Yes, no, these are these are malicious rat people. They're very um, aggressive. They're not anything like actual rats. Good to know. I wouldn't be able to play against Gavin very well, I think. Mm. Warhammer Fantasy was, of course, the game that existed before any of the Warhammer games. When people said Warhammer, they were referring to Warhammer Fantasy Battles. The ones that came out in the early 90s, late 80s. Um, more like early 80s. Early 80s, okay. Early 80s, yes. Uh, when Games Workshop was a budding franchise, they had uh, their miniatures made by a company called Marauder, as well as, um, I think Citadel hadn't been formed yet. I actually have a few old boxes that some of those old teams used to come in that, by way of a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So Games Workshop, of course, had one half of their uh, empire built, and they wanted to have a science fiction one. And so they reached out to, um, was it Jess Goodwin? Uh, one of the one of the guys had been working on their, uh, their own sci-fi setting for years now. And they asked if, Games Workshop asked if they could publish that as part of their science fiction line. And he said, yes. The setting that uh, became Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 is what we see today. It eventually became Warhammer Age of Sigmar and Warhammer well, 40,000. I guess it's 41,000 now, since we're into the uh, 42nd millennium. Now, I did hear some comparisons to Blizzard software on Friday. Like, okay, the people over at Blizzard are re-releasing the classic versions of World of Warcraft, and the numbers they've been getting for that classic Warcraft without Age of 80 or um, Death Knights or any of the things that came after with that that their numbers have been extremely positive with that. I kind of postulated, all right, well, I'm wondering, is Games Workshop kind of following their example? It's very possible. Honestly, I, th I think regardless of whether or not Blizzard had made the action, Games Workshop would have eventually arrived at this conclusion. Okay. Because ever since the choice to go from Warhammer Fantasy into Warhammer Age of Sigmar was not a popular one. I got that, but again, Spot was telling me how there was this almost open rebellion against the concept. People have been taking the rules and running with them, because since the game is no longer supported, people like the complexity of Warhammer Fantasy. The problem was, okay, so have you ever cracked open an old edition of Warhammer 40,000, like 7th edition, or 6th edition even? I have not. I wouldn't I wouldn't know the difference. If you look at the core manual book, you will have nearly a hundred pages or more dedicated to rules. You had I could list a few right here and they'll mean nothing to you. There was fleet, there was rending, there was uh feel no pain. There were all these rules that came in the core book that would just have a one word entry in the creature's keywords in the codex. So you had to have the core rule book and the regular one, and you had to cross-reference them constantly until you learned them. Uh, cross-referencing, yeah. I... After a while, it became normal, but then between editions, they would change the, uh, they might change the meanings of such words and stuff like that. So you had to, you had to keep up with the game and, I mean, much like how you have to keep up with any game, but the fact is that Warhammer 40,000 had been getting so complex. It was not near as complex as Warhammer Fantasy was. Warhammer Fantasy had, like, custom, like, spell options. I could be wrong here. I thought I thought I heard that somewhere. So, so whatever Warhammer 40,000 was like, you had Fantasy doing that 
times two, I'd say, which was a high bar of entry for even casual fans or people or even serious fans. I have really gotten the impression over the last months that Warhammer is not a beginner's game. It's far from it. Well, they've. Oh, here's the other thing. With the most re- release of the Age of Sigmar and uh, Warhammer 8th Edition, Warhammer 40k 8th Edition. Was the idea to make it more accessible? It's simplified. Accessible might be the keyword. War- Age of Sigmar was definitely a case of that. Warhammer 40k still keeps greater complexity than Age of Sigmar. So it didn't throw didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater like some people think uh, fantasy did. Okay. But they trimmed it down. They made sure each keyword is explained inside their own unit's codex and that the core rules do not have any hidden information as such. So everything you need to know about your army is contained within your codex, and you don't have to go cross-referencing the book except for basic rules. I do hate book hopping, but I don't think I know anybody who enjoys book hopping. Mm -hmm. In fact, the basic rules are free. It's the scenarios and stuff that you have to pay extra for and all the stratagems (laughs) and stuff like that. But if you just want to run a pitched game, just have your units here and your units there and just see how it goes, the rules are free online. Just sort of resisting the urge to go, first taste is free, kid. (laughs) No, go ahead. It's it's true. It's plastic crack. (laughs) Earlier, uh, around Thanksgiving... Games Workshop announced they were bringing back the Old World. That's how it's known now. You have the Mortal Realms, which is in the Age of Sigmar, and we have pre-end times Old World. Mm-hmm. Um, the Old World had its own apocalypse story. Everybody showed up. Everybody kicked each other's asses. People were actually pretty happy with the story aspect, but were sad to see the world go away. This is the one that collapsed into nothing but chaos except for the bit that Sigmar saved, yes? No, it's not just it collapsed into chaos. Everything was destroyed. Like, we had a event horizon. Oh, gosh, okay. Like, black hole sucking everything away into the warp, and only Sigmar and... Was it Nagash? Or, like, we're left wrestling over the, the Warhammer. There and is an actual Warhammer. There is a Warhammer. <laughs> That's what the name was. The game was named after. How did I go so long without knowing there was an actual Warhammer for which the game was named? I just yes. thought it was just this is a cool name for our battle game, Warhammer. You know? Yeah, no, but there is actual a, an actual Warhammer, but only in fantasy. There is no Warhammer in the forty first millennium, other than what's wielded by your average space marine. You anticipated my next question because I'm looking at a poster behind you. Of Warhammer Age of Sigmar, Warhammer 40,000. It's like, is there one in the new universe as well? I mean, there's Vulcan's Warhammer. It's pretty badass. I've heard about Vulcan's Warhammer when I was looking at the thing about the salamanders, as a matter of fact. He doesn't show it to everybody. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. Oh, no, no. I'm just having momentary... Dr. Horrible moments in my head. Yes, no. That's exactly... Yeah, you know where I'm going with that. Yep. Anyway, so I felt like that was an important thing to add on to here is that the old world is coming back. And this seems like, like you were saying earlier, it seems like similar to what Blizzard was doing. I think they're not going to release any new molds that they, unless they have to. I figure the idea is to do the old world but retool the rules in this new 8th edition that they're working on. I think it was ninth. I think they were in ninth, ninth edition. Ninth? Okay. Because there was a fan continuation with the rules 
called the Ninth Age, where these other companies would be creating, or rather they would go to other companies to cobble together their armies uh, from other manufacturers since their miniatures were discontinued by GW. So they could keep playing the game in the same spirit, uh, even though the game had technically been abandoned. I also feel like this might have been a... Okay, so this, this might be a crackpot theory here. I feel like GW may also have been bringing back the old world because they realize there's still money to be made here. And I don't mean that in a evil, greedy, capitalist way. I mean that in a just business sense. Like There's, there's still a demand for it. Exactly. And uh, the problem with... Fantasy was 20% of their sales came from 50% or more of their miniature line. Okay. They had to make up for this. They had to make the game more accessible. And that's why Age of Sigmar is so much simpler, so much more filed down than its fantasy predecessor, or even 40,000. That would kind of explain the rule back in the day they used to have for game shops where a certain percentage of your shop had to be devoted to games workshop miniatures because that was a big piece of their pie yeah yeah i do remember that hearing about that rule it was one of the things that put me off originally because i would go to my game shop locally back in the day and i would be looking for reaper miniatures and they were so crowded out by all the warhammer fantasy it was hard to get what i was after Mm -hmm. nowadays they just uh they ask that you keep like a steady stock in. Like I go to the Event Horizon, the Game Theory, and there's this corner dedicated to Games Workshop stuff, but it's not flowing. It's a nice condensed area. They no longer require that you devote this much square footage or this percent of right. the I think to their merchandise. More, more. It's more like a uh, monetary value. Like carry this many thousands of dollars of GW product and just keep it well stocked. That's a little less oppressive, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially when sets actually are selling a lot better now. Yeah. As well as new things that are coming out from Games Workshop, we also had some new miniatures coming out this last week on the Warhammer community page. We had the Dawnbreaker cohort coming out from the Blood Angels. And I don't know that much about them, even though I just did this great big article on Blood Angels. I saw some great big engine pods on them. And they were all sort of suspended from these slightly transparent armatures so that they were... They looked like they were all going to be airborne units. So the uh, the Blood Angels Dawnbreaker cohort, so they're not actually for Warhammer 40,000. They're for the Horus Heresy. Those are uh, fine resin models that uh, Forge World puts out, mm-hmm. which explains the old-style backpacks. You mentioned that earlier that the backpacks were rather bulky. They look like two giant turbines. So this isn't some new Primaris thing. This is actually a period piece from, say, the 30th, 31st. Yes, the uh, turbine jetpacks are a holdover from the Mark II, Mark III era jetpacks. Maybe even Mark IVs. I don't think they got their um, their uh, angled jets designed, like the big square boxes, yeah. until the Mark V or Mark VI, actually. Great big Rolls-Royce-looking jet engine pods instead of just these little pipes that come out of the back of the pack. Oh, no, no, no. That's just their ordinary backpack. Okay. The little pipes are their exhaust ports. All right. The big jet packs look like, so in an elongated shoebox with a big cylinder angled 45 degrees from the corner. You're right. I saw those on New Primaris. Kevin Shrike. Yes, that's based off of... 
that it's a little bit modified, but more or less c- contains the uh, the shoebox with thrusters. Right. I th- I'm gonna keep call them that that now. Hey, shoebox thrusters. If they look like shoeboxes, we'll call them that. Yeah. At least for one more episode. Yeah. So I'm actually a fan of the old turbine design. Well, they just look beefier and cooler. I like the impression of a moving part on a uh, on a model. Looks like it goes faster to me because it's just beefier. Yeah, or it's cooler to imagine the thrusters sort of spinning up as it flies. And That's part of the appeal of the orcs. There are a lot of moving parts on the orcs cobbled together uh, gizmos. I saw something on Facebook just recently. Somebody had taken an Imperial ATAT and mm-hmm. converted it into an orc-made ad-ad with all the paint, all the yellow all over it, all the little jet chessboard patterns. Mm-hmm. Little balconies all over the thing with orcs just sort of sticking out of it at every angle. It was a nice bit of original thinking, I thought. I'm going to have to see that. I love seeing these orcified conversions. Have yeah. you seen Orctimus Prime? <laughs> I've not seen it actually, Prime. It's a truck that actually transforms. Like, the person modeled it and painted it and made it so you can transform it from the semi into the standing uh, robot. Sweet. I'll show you that after this. Or you can, yeah. So. Let's see. Getting into some other miniatures that came out this week, we had the Primaris version of Master Lazarus. Yes, yeah, so um, Lazarus of the Dark Angels is apparently one of the Inner Circle members. I don't know if he existed prior to this. Inner Circle of what? Uh, so the Dark Angels, well, from what? amount that I know about them, or amount anybody knows about them. Well, I haven't researched them for an article yet, and I'm not likely to. The Dark Angels are the first Legion. They were not only the first uh, Legion found, but uh, Lionel Johnson, their Primarch, was the first Primarch found by the Emperor, and had spent the most time around him. Okay. During the Horus Heresy, there was a... um, a miscommunication or a uh, act of sabotage on one of the lines where Lionel Johnson and his first captain, Luther, thought the other may have turned traitor to Horace. And so when Johnson came back to Caliban, uh, Luther commanded that they open fire upon the fleet. Since then, the ones that were with the line since then, Lionel Johnson's nickname was the line, of course. Uh, and yes, it's supposed to sound like the poet, uh, there's this this uh, reference goes a lot deeper than that. If you guys want to look it up yourself, so Luther kind of breaks away and kind of lives in and his his cohort become the fallen. Whereas uh, after Lionel Johnson basically goes into hiding slash hibernation, goes missing. Spoilers: He's on the rock sleeping. Uh, the rock is his battle fleet because Caliban was destroyed by the Dark Angels their home planet, Luther and his, uh, his cohort, yeah, like I said, they, they became the Fallen. The f- they're still loyalists, these Fallen. Correct? We don't know. No? Oh. Uh, the, the, dark, the fact is, is that the dark, this is their Dark Angel's greatest secret, the fact that they have these, um, these traitors running around, and in fact, will go to extreme measures to collect information and interrogate anyone who knows anything about the Fallen. They wear their pre-heresy black armor with the white and red checks. 
Um, or black was it? Just a really dark green. I forget. It looked black to me. And you have the Unforgiven, which were the ones that stayed loyal to Lionel Johnson and hunt them endlessly. They have they carry this tremendous guilt with them, as well as a secrecy. They don't like the Inquisition poking and prodding their way into their secrets. How many could we have saved had we not just been firing on one another instead? Um, not really that. More like the uh, the fact that they were not there to save the Emperor. This, uh, this feud, this uh, confusion caused them to be unable to visit the Emperor, or rather defend Terra from Horus's invasion. They Which weren't would... among the cohort that showed up with Sanguinius later. Exactly. They weren't, I don't think they're even part of that. But the fact is, is that they were absent, which probably lent even more suspicions oh, to geez. yes, to their loyalties. Um, some people think the Dark Angel, that no one to this, to this day, no one knows for certain who st- remained loyal to whom. And so people say, oh, the Fallen are the traitors, or oh, no, 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 the Unforgiven are in fact the traitors, and the Fallen were trying to protect. And so there's this whole misinformation being woven through and once you start introducing the alpha legion infiltrating their ranks which happened in canon then it gets even more confusing because as you know the alpha legion are probably still loyalist probably wait i I thought the alpha legion was a traitor legion they are (laughs) they're probably still loyalist though or at least parts of them that's confusing. It is, and that's exactly what I want you to think. Alpha Legion thrives off of information control. So if you want to think about it this way, the Dark Angels are kind of like the a weird inverse of the Alpha Legion. <laughs> this would have been good to, for me to research before. It's like spy versus spy. That more or less depicts the Dark Angels at the moment, but they also have... There's a lot more depth to them. It's not just their confusing loyalties. They have their, their inner circle members... Um, they did not like the Primaris when they were gifted to them by Mars. They thought Mars was trying to spy on them. As suspicious as ever, I would guess. Exactly. But now their leader, Lazarus, has made this... One of their inner circle members. Which okay. So they, their leadership is more of like a ring. Oh, here's another fun fact. The Dark Angels keep their numbers secret. So unlike the Black Templars, who are like, oh, we're not, a, we're not over the thousand limit because these are all... Uh, acolytes or these are all um neophytes so they they don't have a whole legion but nobody would know exactly it's like these are all neophytes they're not true members of the black templar so therefore we're not over the limit dark is like ha just to up the cringe factor on the suspiciousness yeah like they blatantly disregard the codex of stars which to be fair the codex we don't know if they're loyalists or not Maybe there are other people that they swear don't exist are, are the loyalists, and they're not. Oh, and by the way, they may have 40,000 ready to come at us at any given time, because we don't know how many there are. Mm-hmm. Yep, so for good reason, people don't really trust the Dark Angels. Knowing too much about the Dark Angels can actually be more detrimental than knowing too little. Then they take an interest in you. Exactly. So this Lazarus coming over the Primaris Rubicon here, might that have been a measure to relieve some of that suspicion, perhaps? Very possibly. It might. It's very likely that this transference or this upgrade, they'll probably have him in charge of the Primaris segment. The, um, the Dark Angels are no strangers to 
sort of segmented forces. Normally you have different companies within a space marine faction, companies one through 10, but the, um, the dark angels do things a little differently. They have their, uh, there's the Raven wing, which are like their fast biker scouts. And basically everyone's on bikes. You've got the dread wing, which are like their terminators. They paint themselves for like a cream tan color dark angels, but there's basically three major segments. There used to be five or six back in the heresy era. I don't know what happened to them. Maybe those were the ones that took, sided with Luther and were thusly disbanded. With the introduction of Lazarus, of clever theme naming, by the way. All the people crossing the Rubicon here are actually going to die for a little bit before they come back. As yes, there's like a six. There's a sixty percent uh, fatality rate for crossing the Rubicon Primaris. Which, of course, has the the more suspicious Marines even that much more suspicious. Mm -hmm. Though I think it's a nice way of sort of giving validation for not everything's going to become Primaris. With a 60% fatality rate, we can easily justify having companies of Space Marines that are still regular Space Marines and not Primaris. From way back what, a couple episodes ago, I am actually surprised that their Imperial Fists are going for this. Well, they are the defenders of Terra. They're not. They're no strangers to pain. Yeah, but they were the ones who were very much loyal to. Okay, this is the way Emperor Pyrrhus wanted it done. So we're going to do it the way the Emperor says, and we're not going to brook any other way of doing things. Well, Dorn's long dead, and ten thousand years uh, is a long time. The Space Marine chapters have already gone their own little separate philosophical ways. The Black Templars have their own. They probably would be less less likely to join. But the fists are in service of Terra and the Emperor, and if one of the Emperor's sons comes back and tells you, hey, I've got upgrades for you so you can defend the Imperium better, they're probably going to spring for that chance. The Imperial fists are considered among the most loyal of the Emperor's servants, possibly even more so than the Ultramarines in that regard, since, you know, Goleman tried to make his own second Imperium. Fair beans. Now that said, we were actually going to talk about the Dark Angels in our next segment, where I ask Hunter all sorts of questions about lore in the game, mostly to do with, in this case, the new release of Ritual of the Damned in the Psychic Awakening. Mm, yes. Which, in which, of course, the Dark Angels are going to be featured, along with the Grey Knights and the Thousand Suns, and this horrific ritual being done by Magnus the Red back on his home planet. Mm, yes, that's well, not his home planet, because that was destroyed, but the planet of sorcerers. Right. His new base of operation uh, post-heresy. And if I get to read this bit of story, you'll probably get a little bit more about how some of these sorcerers are kind of trying to scry Magnus the Red and what he's doing, because they're feeling this big yeah feeling this big uptick they're getting bad vibes from bad the warp psychic energy coming out of the warp and somebody's doing something really heinous to help this along and we get the idea that magnus the red might be responsible mm -hmm. so so in regard to this setup i find it interesting the gray knights versus uh the thousand sons is obviously a classic matchup you've got psychers versus psychers ones who use demons one who fights them that's a good juxtaposition but i'm surprised at the presence of the dark angels i mean dark angels will fight any of the emperor's enemies but usually the dark angels like to focus on uh their goal of finding the fallen so do you figure maybe with the resulting crisis here in the psychic awakening maybe the dark angels alliances or allegiances i should say are 
going to come into a little bit more sharp of focus. Possibly. If the Fallen are involved in this, that would certainly be a good reason for them to be involved. Honestly, they don't really need anything other than what GW tells them to do. It's just, I find their inclusion interesting and possibly hinting at something a bit deeper. Because... Like, which of the two factions, the Thousand Sons or Grey Knights, might they come into a battle on the side of? Yeah, yeah. So, well, obviously the Dark Angels are going to fight with the Grey Knights. They're still considered a loyalist faction, and they're not going to change anytime soon. Is it obvious? They haven't been. So, it's only been a fluff thing that their allegiance is questionable. On the, on the game board, it's always been assumed that they're, oh, for, sorry, fight as loyalists. So, perhaps the Fallen are coming in with a thousand sons, and they've found a lead that can finally lead them to the people they've been hunting all these years. Mm, yes, that that is a uh, crackpot theory worth considering. We're kind of blending all the segments here. I'm making my own crackpot theories now. Perhaps I know enough to do so. Mm, or at least enough to make, well, uninformed guesses. Yeah, it's not a, certainly n- not impossible. The um, You were asking earlier about uh, Magnus the Red. I was, because I was getting the impression of this great, big, demonic fellow from the story I read. Well, he is. This, uh, he is a greater demon. In fact, he is a demon primarch. So he's grown from that, from his original human template into this. Human nothing. No, he was always a primarch. Primarchs are already statuesque, uh, titanic, like, demi-humans created by the Emperor. Okay. So these guys already stand like 15 to 20 feet tall. I didn't think that Sanguinius and the rest didn't were like that. They were. So. The Emperor The emperor is like 25 feet tall. I, I'm, I'm just rounding <laughs> up my things. The Emperor is gargantuan. These were not man-sized humans. Have you seen how big Gulliman is compared to his space marine brethren? When I, I will confess that in all the research I've done for the blog posts, looking at all of the art that I was grabbing for those posts, I didn't really get a sense of scale because in that art, they never put them right beside regular humans. You were wondering, why are the Dark Angels and the Grey Knights involved? Perhaps the Dark Angels are interested in what the Grey Knights have to say about, you know, one of their own meeting with one of their uh, hunted, uh, their hunted prey. The Fallen. Yeah. Or more specifically, Cypher, who's like their like their top agent. Maybe I need to know a little bit more about Cypher. So, because the first thing I think of is probably entirely unrelated. I'm thinking Cypher, no siphing. But... Cypher is one of the fallen angels of the Dark Angel Space Marine chapter and one of the few members that the Lois chapter believed to, to, to have turned to chaos during the Horse Heresy in the 31st millennium. So this guy is 10,000 years old. Cypher is being wrapped in shadow, an entity whose every move is cloaked in mystery. His motives and methods are in themselves an enigma. This fellow in the cloak in the background. Yes, he's also got... He sounds like everybody who's ever played a rogue in D&D. Oh, jeez. (laughs) Even the name... Even the name or title by which he is known seems to conceal something, although whether it is a metaphor or yet a con- another conundrum is unknown. To the Imperium at large, Cypher is either wholly unknown or a being of shadowy rumor that seems to somehow be somehow connected or sought by the Dark Angels and their successor chapters. He is to- literally a Cypher. Yes, okay. he is a nobody. He is a zero. An untold sum. To the Unforgiven, Cypher is be- a being of legend and untold speculation. Cypher is the one whom the masters of the Dark Angels seek above all others, for he is their most hated foe. 
The Dark Angels have been se- have been chasing Cypher since the catastrophic fall of Caliban and has eluded capture for nearly 10,000 standard years. During that time, Cypher has appeared in each of the five segmentums, materializing as if from nowhere. Whether he surfaces, he brings with him death and destruction, although whether he is the culprit or merely a herald of woe is unclear. Cypher Solomon instigates the violent acts that invariably occur when he is present. It is rather that he seems to act as a catalyst, fanning the hatred and mistrust of those around him into a raging fire. Cypher vanishes from the scene as abruptly as he arrives. Worlds burn in his wake. Jeez. Yep. Almost doctorish, really. Yep. But basically, so he's basically Space Carmen San Diego, <laughs> except he doesn't steal anything. Hi, you're going to regret that I'm here, but here I am. Cypher is basically this, the um, the unattainable. The, basically, the the Dark Angels are on this massive goose hunt or wild goose chase, and Cypher is the goose. Okay, the the person they've been preoccupied with along with the fallen. Yes, it's speculated that Cypher is not the original Cypher, or rather, others have taken up his name as uh, the millennia. Yes, as the millennia have gone on. That's fair too. Have a look at my agenda here. Yes. Edit that bit out too. But so back to Magnus the Red. Back to Magnus the Red. So Magnus, as we know, was a Primarch of the Thousand Sons Legion, uh, one that was censured during the uh, Council of Nicaea, not to be confused with Nicaea. Maybe I had it mixed up. One of those. One of those is a real old event. The no, other one. Nicaea is the one from Warhammer. Nicaea is the one from the third century Rome. Okay, so Nicaea. Um, Magnus was censured and basically told no more psychic powers, or else we're going to have to kill you because we can't have demons running amok in the warp. Even though that Magnus the Red grew up on a planet known as Prospero, where it was a planet full of people who were able to use psychic powers and use the warp without incurring demonic activity. They were able to weave it into their lifestyle and sort of use it in a symbiotic way. People who've always had this so they didn't see anything bad happening. Exactly. It, uh, Prospero's depiction often has its sort of, sort of Egyptian flavor to it. Lots of, like, obelisks and pyramids and stuff like that. Very spiritual. Kind of new agey. Mm, I, I guess. But this is where Magnus grew up before the Emperor found him. Following this, uh, Magnus breaks the, you know, his orders in order to try to warn the Emperor, but actually makes things worse. I forget if this, I forget if this is what caused the Council, or if it was after the Council. Basically... Magnus screws up again, and the Emperor tells Lehman Russ, you know, the, the breaker of armies, the guy who killed two legions already. Have you ever noticed how the 2nd and 11th legion are never mentioned? They're always re- mentioned as redacted. I've not had to research the 2nd or 11th legions. Right, but you've noticed how they've got this big sensor block over it, right? I think I have. Yeah, so um, it's heavily implied in the Horse Heresy books that Russ's faction was the one that killed them. They basically committed an act so heinous that the brothers don't even talk about them. Something worse than the heresy. Something that caused them to just get obliterated from all records, and no one knows what the hell happened to them. Something worse than the heresy during the Emperor's time. 
I wasn't aware there was anything worse than the heresy of Warhammer 40k. GW likes to keep a bit of mystery, and so they can be the Legion could be whatever you want them to be. It's those ideas are supposed to be. It's left open for you to decide, create your own chapter and stuff like that. A plot hook. Exactly, but they're never going to resolve it. They want to keep it a mystery, so we're never actually going to get an answer unless someone decides otherwise later down the line. I've run into that in other games, particularly Shadowrun. I've run into that in series like Star Wars. <laughs> Things that didn't need explanation, but we got them anyway. But so I digress. Need the explanation that doesn't ever, I think, too. Yeah. With that in mind, so Russ, the um, you know, the guy you call to bring them in hot or hot or hot cold. Or cold. Yeah, was told to go go bring back Magnus alive, but Horus gives him a an update from the Emperor since Horus is the acting war master. He is. For all Still. his word is the emperor. This is just before anyone knows that he's traitor. Tells him, no, 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 no. Kill Magnus. New, new update from, from the emperor. Kill him. Destroy the planet. And Russ happily obliges. This causes a bit of a rivalry between the, uh, the Thousand Sons and the wolves, as you may imagine. Gives Magnus his dark side moment. Yes. Magnus was actually willing to let uh, Prospero burn until like the last like last minute or the final hour where he basically caved and dedicated himself to Zinch. Most of that was mostly done by Aramon at this point, though. Aramon being his first captain. Azek Araman basically did this thing called the, the Rubric of Araman. He got named after himself. He wanted to cure the uh, Thousand Sons of their mutations. The problem with the Thousand Sons is that while they had incredible psychic potential, they mutated too quickly. They were not able to keep their ranks up. And when they were told to not do their, use their psychic powers, they still had the mutations happen. They weren't able to use their powers to either, like, you know, fix things or heal things. They had to, they were just slowly dying of warp cancer. And From a chaotic point of view, it's essentially, all right, we need you to deny who you are now and never stop. Essentially. So um, our man thinks he's found a solution. I think it was after the burning of Prospero. Our man basically casts the rubric. Uh, Zinch kind of fucks with it, because of course he can. And it works on about 20%, 10 to 20% of the, uh, the, the, the sorcerers. Their psychic powers are boosted immensely, and they're cured. But for the others, they get turned into dust. And now they're souls walking around in these armored husks. Oh, jeez. That's what the rubric marines are. They are the soulless, rather, the soul-bound automatons uh, with no bodies, stuck inside their suits for all eternity, guided by a uh, psyker. Jeez. Yep. And I'm just sitting here going, jeez, over and over again. Their, their battle cry is now, all is dust. If they cry out at all. Mm, it's more of like a low, haunting dirge. More than a cry, but that yeah, is more believable. Yes. <laughs> so they're, they're basically armored mummies. <laughs> yep. But back to Magnus the Red again. Now that we've actually had got a little background. Yeah. So Magnus the Red was well always red. That's why it's called the Red. He just had red skin. He had like these, and he's always depicted as a cyclops. I think he was blind in one eye. Upon his ascension to demonhood, his sort of like shifts around. Now, see, that would gel with some of the stuff I've been reading where in the Psychic Awakening where people on these hive worlds who are being kind of smuggled off because they're starting to manifest psychic powers. Mm -hmm. They're being smuggled out by these people who are very cult-like 
and to prove their devotion to the idea of being able to be free people with psychic powers, they're obliged to stab out one of their own eyes. Mm-hmm. This feels like a very connected thing to me. I believe that is the, the situation, because the Thousand Suns need to replenish their numbers. Prospero is destroyed, the planet of sorcerers is enveloped in the warp, so they're more or less protected from that, but they are still a fairly low-numbers uh, legion, because they got wiped out. Magnus had his back broken. Basically, Lehman Russ pulls a bane and cracked Magnus's spine before his ascension to demonhood. For those of you not aware, he's referring to Bane breaking Batman's back in the Batman comics, and I don't know if he did that in the movie or not. Well, yeah, they had to do that. That's the only Bane thing he did. Other than that, he he acted more like the Joker in the Dark Knight Rises than, you know, Bane. A bit. You You can tell they wrote the role for Ledger before he passed. So Magnus is back, it's broken. He says, fuck it, I'm becoming a demon now. In which his back is probably repaired. Yeah. But, but at least he gets that big horny truss that I saw him wearing around yeah. the middle. Magnus is, of course, the most powerful of psychers uh, among all the demons, really, aside from, you know, Zinch himself. So that's his, uh, sort of his, like, his exalted state. Swollen with arcane and, or rather, eldritch power. Exactly. He always wanted the idea of Magnus is that he he was born to a world where knowledge was knowledge was shared and known. Basically, it's very scholarly, but the Imperium basically put like a ban and all had enforced. Basically, had like all this knowledge hidden away, or would like enforce censored. Exactly, lots of censorship, which tied into the Emperor's sort of like no religion, no. Uh, no worship, no nothing. So in some cases, pe- it just led people to give statements to like sort of like the the meme statements like Magnus did nothing wrong, Magnus deserved better. So with that, an entire legion falls to chaos, and Horus has another ally. And now we've got him doing this horrific ritual that the new book is going to be about, and our guy here. Well, let's not spoil it too much in case I do read it, but. Our guy in this piercing eyes story they've got on the community page is kind of scrying on Magnus the Red on where he is now, mm-hmm. the planet of sorcerers. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, uh, that was a Grey Knight on okay. planet Titan, I believe. All right. Basically, in this great big mirrored chamber that. Yeah. So the, the Grey Knights are stationed on the planet Titan rather than the Moon Titan uh, around Jupiter. Magnus mm-hmm. Someone who had been assigned to this duty because, well, it was a very dangerous thing. Apparently, this uh, this process causes the 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 user to age rapidly, and it's a bit a lot worse for the acolyte who accompanies him. Can sometimes yes. get slain by the demon or possessed by it. Psychic blowback. Mm-hmm. Gosh, yeah, I really do want to get my amp fixed and read this for you guys because it was just a nice, compelling piece of reading. Mm-hmm. Grey Knight's involvement makes sense. I believe, uh, yeah, Grandmaster Kaldor Drago is basically this kind of... <sighs> there are a lot of memes revolving around him. The most popular interpretation is that like he's, he's this batshit crazy, almost Don Quixote-esque character who pops in and out of the warp and slays demons and writes his names onto their hearts. And, yeah... This was old. This is. I just sort of gave him an unbelieving. Uh, what? <laughs> this is actual fluff, uh, c- courtesy of the incomparable Matt Ward. These are your good guys, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes, uh, but um, 
I'm not here to talk shit about Matt Ward. I just, he's just a important part about GW's history. A lot of people had complained in the past about his writing. So this... I think I've heard some complaints about that in my time here. Mm-hmm. But on the canon record, Galdor uh, Drago kind of is kind of is the grandmaster of the Grey Knights, but he's almost never there. He's always like off in the warp doing God knows what. He's almost like a psychic-powered doom guy, just popping into hell and wrecking demon shit, and then popping out and just going on his own one-man crusade, while the rest of his legion are like, sorry, the rest of his chapter are like hard at work. He's just like off and just screwing up whatever plans he can. Now, in recent years, was there actually a Magnus the Red miniature, or do you think one of those is actually started going to be incoming? There is a Magnus the Red miniature out. He just came out about three years ago, and he is quite the impressive model. He stands about yay high. And about three quarters of a foot tall hit. Yes, say. he's yes. got massive, gigantic bird wings. Mm-hmm. And you saw like the big armored truss he has that you can, there's options for him. And he comes with three separate faces because the idea is Zinch is the uh, chaos god of magic, change, sorcery. So depending on who sees Magnus, they see something different. Do they see nice. Magnus, the, the Cyclops with a giant eye on his forehead? Do they see him as like the general with like the, the scarred out eye? Like what kind of version of Magnus do they see? And so they have like three different faces for him. They did something similar for Abaddon the Despoiler who came out earlier this year, 2019 for those listening in 2020. Yeah, um, we've only got like a day or two of that left right at the moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, Abaddon the Despoiler has three separate faces as well, or at least two. There's one where it's like him as he appears in like as like the first captain of the Luna Wolves or the the, the Sons of Horus, because he was. He was the first captain uh, serving under Horus himself. He, he has a face that makes him look like Horus himself. And I think there's a third... Oh, the third one has, like, his mask on, so you can't really see his facial features, but he still has, like, the... the it's, it's like this cool sort of almost Bane-like mask. Yeah, we're going back to Bane here, guys. Sorry. No, it's an easy thing for people to visualize. I'm glad you're mentioning it, actually. Mm-hmm. No... One last thing before we kind of wrap here, and this is kind of a crackpot theory too, with all the people that seem to be coming back or seem to be getting resurrected, do you think maybe we might get the return of other people that are really dreadfully bad to get back? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was actually hoping this year they'd announce it. I'm still holding out for uh, 2020. So we have, so first came Magnus, then came... Mortarian, who is the the Death Guard Primarch, who is still alive. Mortarian is this like ghastly uh, Reaper esque figure. And of, none like, of these people were immortals, like say Vulcan was. No, no, they've just been ascendant. They've been, but now that they're uh, demon princes or rather demon Primarchs, even if they're killed, they come back later. So because, the door is open for that. Is it actually possible that Horus himself will come back? No, because Horus, while he was given demonic powers, he was never made a demon prince. Okay. Horus maintained what humanity or mortality he had already. And the Emperor saw fit to demolish him completely. If anyone can kill a demon, it's probably the Emperor. Just, like, completely obliterate him from existence forever. That's probably what the Emperor did with his last bout of strength. Before he retired to his throne. Yeah. Okay. Taurus is dead and is never coming back. 
people have tried to do this. Abaddon actually stopped Fabius Bile, Fabius Bile being a famous apothecary for, I don't know if it was for the Black Legion or if it was for the Death Guard, but basically, no, 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 Fabius Bile was the apothecary for the Emperor's Children. They kicked him out because his experiment, the Emperor's Children was like, dude, you're, you're kind of fucked up. <laughs> Can you leave? Chaos people were telling him. You're the Emperor's up. Children. The like the icon of the ones who follow Slanesh were like, dude, you're a little bit depraved for us. Why don't you just like go go away? Damn. <laughs> yes. So Fabius Ba was actually creating Horus clones in his lab. A band catches wind of this is like, no, fuck you. No, 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 no. I'm the leader. We don't do that here. <laughs> I'm the emperor. I am the chosen of chaos. You're not replacing me with a clone. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Not so much. That's too messed up for us. That's too messed up for me. Yes, it's more of like more like a jealousy or a power play to assert his dominance. I have no other primarchs before me. Yeah, it's like I'm. It's like Horus was a fool. He really wasn't. But uh, there's been interesting depiction of uh, Abaddon throughout the years. Horus was just out strategied in the, the end. I mean, Horus got far. Horus was not was nobody's fool. Well, he got Palpatine level far. <laughs> Possibly further, but yeah. With that, um... Still thinking Star Wars, sorry. We both no, it's fine. It I mean, they were thinking Star Wars back then, too. It was around. So, getting back to Magnus, though, and the, the Grey Knights. Oh, I guess this was a pretty good tangent, though. So, yeah, it would it makes sense that the, uh, the sorcerers, the Thousand Sons, and their multiple different sort of cults are getting more, more and more bodies for their faction, yeah. Uh, we'll probably be seeing some new stuff this year, like ab- brand new units. In fact, there is a um, a Zinch-themed army that's releasing this upcoming week. Really? Yes, it's a, it's a battle box. You, see, you saw like those Feast of yeah. Bones we have out there? Uh, it was a Dark Sorcerer army, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so you have like these, uh, they're on these discs of Zinch, which are like these little flying discs that buzzsaw you if they hit you. Yeah. But um, they're depicted against the, uh, the Caradron overlords from... Age of Sigmar. I suppose it was too easy for me to mistake that as a Warhammer fantasy thing. Uh, it is a Warhammer fantasy thing. Well, it's 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 Age of Sigmar, but yes. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. So it is a yes. Steampunk dwarves. Or ju- we just sort of jumped from forty k to fantasy here in concept. Right, right. But here's this is I guess this goes into crackpot theories because they're already teasing new Zinch rules and stuff. So this is probably going to be another year of Zinch, or at least another season of Zinch. Where they add, update the rules, they add more stuff for them. Okay, 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 now I remember. Okay, rewind. Okay, um, you were asking about uh, demon Primarchs. Yes. So, there are notably a few famous Primarchs that did not become demons. Uh, Conrad Kurz did not. Neither did Perturabo. As far as we know, Perturabo is still alive. And Kurz is the only one of those two I know. Well, he's supposed to be dead, but the uh, security footage kind of blipped where... Vulcan it, did him? No, Vulcan, Vulcan did not did him. An Imperial Assassin did. Oh, okay. I thought Vulcan did him with that hammer of his. No, no, no. When he was escaping from Kurz. But Kurz didn't die. Ah, okay. Kurz was still alive, and he basically... Basically, he's a presumed dead, but we all know better. The most likely one... The most likely demon Primarch they'll bring back... So, they, like I said earlier, it was Magnus, then Mortarian. I don't think... Uh, Angron would be next. Angron is, as you can tell by the title, the corn-aligned uh, demon Primarch of the World Eaters. This would be your angry marine. 
Yes, the angry uh, blood for the blood god marine. Though he's okay. he's got a bit more nuance than that. He's more than just the the corn worshipper. All the Primarchs have their layers, and Angron is probably one of the more justified for betraying the Emperor. But then we have, I think, Fulgrim would be next. I know the name Fulgrim, but not from there. Fulgrim is the Primarch of the Emperor's children. The He's the one who dedicated his legion to Slaanesh, for he strove for perfection in all things. Okay. I can see he's sort of like a va- He has like a, a vanity, vanity, perfection, and sort of like sensation. Perfection, well, in seeking perfection and turning to a chaos deity like Slanesh, I can see the logic of that almost, in that perfection is a flawed concept in itself. Uh, perfection is a state where any change introduced makes it imperfect. Hmm. Therefore, perfection as a concept negates itself because a thing that does not change is itself imperfect. Mm. There is no such thing as perfection, only change. Mm, I suppose. Well, in Fulgrim's case, what he got out of the deal was a snake body and four arms. Oh. So he also uh, kind of killed Gulliman for the first time, or rather got him, like, st- stuck in stasis because he had he was poisoned. Like, not only did he get, get like, an, a mortal wound, he get, the Fulgrim's blades were poisoned, and so he was basically put in stasis for 10,000, not 10,000, like 8,000 or 9,000 years. Gosh. So that, like, the poison would not spread to the rest of his system until Call and the uh, the Eldar could concoct the his life support system that l- runs on literal magic and Xenotech. That was one of the many times I actually met my own death. An experience I wouldn't hesitate to recommend. <laughs> But um, now that Goldman's back and about, it would make perfect sense for Fulgrim to pop out of hiding and be like, I'm going to kill you again. Oh. <laughs> I, will, I will finish what you started. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what I started. <laughs> so, um, oh, that, uh, I think that does, that sums up my opinion piece on what Primarch, Demon Primarch should be next. If you want to see the, uh, the Magnus we've, I think we did multiple Magnuses and uh, Mortarians in the past. Those should be in our Flickr gallery for those who want to see them. Absolutely. Of course, there's going to be a button at the top of our website for the Flickr links as well. Mm-hmm. And you can look at all the other stuff in our gallery as well, as well as all this good stuff that our painters have been doing over the years. Yeah. But we will get back to the next segment in just a moment. As of the present moment, the War Council podcast will not be returning. With White Metal Games' present plans to shutter its doors in April of 2020, there will no longer be a White Metal Games to support it. However, if you would still like to hear me return from time to time for an episode in these final months, it is not outside the realm of possibility that could happen if you'd still like to support the podcast. You can still support us at our Patreon, PayPal, and Podbean pages the links for which you'll find at the top of the website at whitemetalgames.com. And even if we don't get the podcast back for a final fling or two, you might certainly help those who will be remaining at the store with a pizza every now and again. If you've enjoyed my work here on War Council, if you'd like to hear more of my work or just have me read or host something for you, you can always reach me at my own Patreon at patreon.com slash edwardwinterrose, 
You can find my voiceover and voice acting blog, as well as contact information at IWantToReadThisForYou.blogspot.com. You can also have a look at my other projects on my page on YouTube called I Want To Read This For You. You can also hear me as Captain Buchanan on the award-winning web podcast Outpost, a Star Trek fan production over on GiantGnome.com. It's been a pleasure working for you and for Caleb here at White Metal Games. Let's not say goodbye, but maybe just TTFM. Ta-ta for now. The Piercing Eyes by Callum Davis Every son of Titan knew this day would come. Magnus the Red, demon primarch of the Thousand Sons, had returned. By the Emperor's grace, he had been defeated at Fenris. Just, thought Lucian Adanter. But they all knew he had not been stopped forever. When the strange machine known as the Speculum Infernus stirred to life again, just as it had when it heralded the Crimson King's return to the galaxy, it did so with grim inevitability. Lucian knelt in the Augurium, the mirror-walled chamber atop the silver pinnacle. Here the few prognosticars, his order, worked to predict the psychic tremors that heralded demonic incursions. He opened his eyes and stared at his reflection. Flickering candlelight bathed the room in a warm orange glow, though it was always cold. With each of Lucian's breaths, a stream of condensation filled the air. Beads of sweat dripped from his forehead, staining his simple tunic that was already encrusted with salt. Deep lines ran across his forehead, around his eyes and at the corners of his mouth. His face appeared weather-beaten, though he had left Titan only a handful of times over the last few decades. His heavily cropped hair was as white as snow, and his eyes betrayed a life that faced horrors that would drive mere mortals to suicidal insanity. Only fifty years old, he thought, though I look like a veteran of a century or more. Such was the life of a prognosticar. A silent adept knelt behind him, quill and parchment in hand to note anything and everything. He could make out the goosebumps on her pale flesh, but she didn't shiver, despite thin robes being all that shielded her from the cold. Lucian didn't know her name. Too many of her predecessors had died too soon for him to learn it. Focus, Lucian thought. Again, he said to the adept, preparing her for what he was about to do. He closed his eyes and attuned all his energy to the sound of the speculum infernus. The arcane device hissed and steamed. Strange energies crackled sharply, and reams of data parchment flopped onto the cold floor. His mind's eye began to see a world racked by purple lightning that shot into the sky from the ground. He saw planes of glass stretching to a horizon that twisted into vast mountain ranges of razor-sharp rocks out of which broke predaceous tentacles and bulbous twitching eyes the size of boulders. He saw rivers of bubbling green magma flowing uphill 
as pink creatures gambled and cavorted around them, giggling and pointing as their more unfortunate kin tumbled into the burning streams. Herds of nomadic cerulean creatures that were part man, part bird, and part beast roamed wastelands far and wide, making war upon each other and upon clans of mutated humans. Many of these people had put out one of their eyes, and among their number many had more than one head, while others had additional limbs or had sprouted tentacles. All kinds of half-metal, half-demon fauna made their home among the crystalline rock formations beneath clouds of etheric vapor that obscured skies of impossible hues. Lucian felt a scratching in his mind. He paused. It could be one of them, he thought. Or is it just the woman's quill on the parchment? He couldn't know. I see... Another world now, he said. He didn't speak in every vision, every time. He didn't know what compelled him to sometimes describe what he saw. All he knew was that he did. And his adept knelt ready. A barren world. A near-empty desert punctuated by the ruins of a city destroyed long ago. I see the dust of burnt parchment carried by fierce sandstorms that rack the surface and wear down the remains of devastated pyramids and hab centers, structures that had once been this world's crown jewels. But then the visions shifted. He saw throngs of people gazing up in awe at a towering winged warrior with skin of crimson. Tears of joy streamed down their faces as they fell to their knees, hands clasped together as if in prayer. They beseeched and thanked and worshipped. The image shifted again. He saw the same people, dead, in vast pits, dried blood encrusting their naked bodies, deep knife gashes in their necks, expressions of incredible joy, had changed to ones of terror. He then saw apocalyptic war, phalanxes of azure and gold warriors firing in sorceled bolt guns into fleeing civilians, and flocks of blade-winged demons terrorizing the spires of the Imperial conurbations. I see death, fire and blood everywhere. Lucian spoke again, as if his tongue were not his own to control. Enormous demon engines rampage unopposed, tearing down buildings, goring and stamping people to death. The screams and cries of the demon engine's victims are punctuated by the laughter and hoots of frolicking demons that run amok, setting fire to homes, chapels, and cathedrals. He stopped. Those who managed to avoid death at the hands of these monsters suddenly fell to the ground as they fled, before lurching back up. Lucian could hear their bones crack and snap as they spasmed unnaturally, contorting into horrifying positions. He knew their screams of agony would haunt him for the rest of his life. The contortions became more rapid, the victim's skin changed a color 
dozens of times, shifting from reds to yellows to purples to blues. Thick spikes burst from their skin before warping into other deformed shapes. The mutation was so rampant that many devolved into nothing more than a sickly gloop. The sight changed as quickly as it had appeared. Lucian saw Argent and Viridian knights fighting side by side, slaying the heinous minions of the archenemy in droves along the winding cobbled streets before an almighty pyramid, whose peaks stretched into a hellish sky. Then he saw the same knights dead, their bodies picked over by wretched mutants and evil sorcerers. He saw a warrior that could only be Supreme Grand Master Kaldor Drago, standing triumphant over the corpse of Magnus the Red, the titan sword buried to the hilt in the demon Primarch's skull. Adept, note the presence of the Supreme Grand Master, he said. The vision warped. This time Drago was impaled upon the blade of Magnus, a hundred warriors in blood-stained silver armor cut to pieces and scattered around him. Such confusion, thought Lucian. No matter how hard he tried, this mess of sights was impenetrable. Contradictory circumstances buffeted his every attempt to gain clarity at what events might transpire. That he had seen Sortarius, Prospero, and neighboring worlds was of little doubt. Slaughter and misery had become inevitable on the Crimson King's return, but what was the significance? Lucian's mind ran over the horrific events he had witnessed. The sight of thousands of corpses piled in vast killing pits kept returning to his thoughts. He felt a jolt of stinging pain in the heart of his mind. Sacrificial victims, he thought. A ritual? For what? Suddenly he was buffeted by more visions, each wilder than the last. Cruel, malignant faces and devastating wars flashed through Lucian's mind, preventing him from focusing his thoughts on a ritual. He had encountered such things before in his time as a prognosticar. I sense your presence, foe, he thought. Know that your efforts only point me closer to the truth. What you distract me from, I know you fear me knowing. <laughs> Unless that is exactly what I wish you to believe, little knight. Chortled a malicious voice. Lucian hesitated. Never before had a servant of the archenemy pierced his mind in such a way in this chamber. With undaunted courage we shall prevail. No arcane magic shall overcome us. We are the bearers of victory. Lucian recited from the Canticle of Absolution. Instantly he felt his mind calmed by the familiar, soul-strengthening words. Heavenly blessings are laid upon us. The warp is ours to tame. Though sorcery shall be against us, all are banished to the void. Lucian returned to his scryings. He saw the pits and the bodies. He saw cloaked and hooded priests bearing wave-bladed daggers before the visions disappeared, 
replaced by those of hideous, biting, screeching nightmares and monsters. They reached out with clawed hands as if to grab hold of him. He generated a pulse of psychic energy, blasting the creatures away in a haze of golden light. They screeched in pain, shielding their ink-black eyes from its gloriousness. Though spell or incantation blocks us, the Emperor shall see us victorious, Lucian said aloud. No hex can overcome our determination. Our resolve is strong as steel. He saw the cloaked priests. He saw the blood of victim after victim burst from roughly cut dagger slashes. Every priest's hands were covered in the rich fluid, and though he could not see the murderers' faces beneath their heavy cowls, he could tell they bore broad grins. Disgusting creatures, he thought. Lucian watched as knife after knife was discarded by the priests, their blades dulled through overuse. Without so much as an iota of lost time, kneeling acolytes handed them fresh sacrificial weapons with which to brutally murder their next victims. You have seen much, little knight, said the voice, returning. But you know not what you see, what is true, what is false. To the Lord of Change, all is both and neither. No despicable treachery will thwart us, Lucian called back. We are the Emperor's chosen. Nine individuals clad in armor of polished azure and gleaming gold, wearing high-horned helms and wielding long staffs topped with evil symbols, stood in a circle. They each waved their hands in an identical fashion weaving gusts of potent, empiric energies that seemed to flow from the pits, which filled with more and more corpses as time went by. The strain in their efforts was obvious to Lucian, but not one wavered beneath the tension corralling so much raw power. Magnus the Red stood at their center, resplendent in perfectly made golden armor, decorated with the finest lapis lazuli. To look upon him... Lucian knew was to look upon evil made manifest. Thick, powerful legs were at once vaguely humanoid, but ended in wickedly clawed feet, like those of ancient reptilian megafauna. Vast wings stretched out behind him, as wide as those of a combat aircraft, shimmering rich fuchsia and violent in Sortarius's ever-shifting light melding seamlessly with a spectrum of cobalt, sapphire, and turquoise, psychic power roiled thickly around his large, taloned hands. He manipulated it with the casual concentration of a true master. With no doubt in their ability to create wonders beyond the wildest dreams of the uninitiated. Hatred burned in Lucian's heart. Monster! Traitor! We will have your head on a spike on Titan's battlements if it takes us ten thousand years, he thought bitterly, clenching his palms so tightly that his nails pierced the skin beneath. The voice chuckled. <laughs> Such bitterness. 
Do you not feel the slightest twinge of awe? Do you not feel the seed of envy beginning to sprout just a little? For that you would be forgiven, little knight. The Emperor shall guard our souls, Lucian answered. No damnation shall bring us low. Lucian felt his energy begin to drain. The voice's psychic assault on him was powerful. Almost any besides a Grey Knight would likely be slain by it. He held firm, willing himself to delve into the vision one more time. Every shred of information was needed if the Grey Knights were to respond appropriately and in time. He looked upon the entire ritual. Tens of thousands of Magnus's followers watched as the sacrifices continued. A vortex of power emanated from the pits of death. The hordes cheered, screeched, moaned, and brayed. They cried praises to Sinch and Magnus, and they called for the death of their enemies. They called for blood. They called for the material to become the immaterial. What is this all for? he wondered. What evil will this make? What terrible harms will this cause? Lucian's eyes turned back to Magnus. His hatred demanded it. With all my hearts, all my mind, and all my soul, I wish death for you. Your memory shall be scoured from the galaxy along with all your foul sons and pathetic millions. By the hands of the Grey Knights, this shall happen, and we will smile. Lucian stared. Magnus stared back. The demon Primarch's remaining eye bore into Lucian's soul. Adept! Withdraw! Lucian managed to cry out before the pain overwhelmed him and everything went black. Lucian jerked and opened his eyes, breathing heavily. His hearts were pounding, his lungs pushed to extremes to keep up with his body's demand for oxygen. He was lying on his back, drenched in freezing sweat, and racked in searing pain. He gritted his teeth, trying to stand up, and he tasted copper. He remembered the adept and looked around to where she had knelt. All that remained of her was a burnt-out husk, her small hand still in the position of clutching the quill and parchment, though nothing remained of her notes. He paused for a heartbeat, lowering his head in a gesture of respect. You performed your duty, he said. He gave no more thought to her after that. She had done what the chapter had asked, and paid the price they all knew possible. Whether she had stayed out of choice, or could not escape in time, it made no difference. This ritual must be stopped, Lucian said, shakily getting to his feet, wiping his sodden brow with the back of his hand. He felt as if he had aged another fifty years as he made to leave the chamber. Must it? said the voice, devoid of all humor. Do not be so sure, little knight. This is Last Minute Rant. Well, as the podcast winds down, we know that a lot of the games we play are war games. There's lots of grimdark, war, blood, pain, and suffering there. But we gotta remember, this is just a game. 
As we enter the new year, we're seeing the possibility of an actual, real people dying war, and I've not slept since this nonsense began. I feel we're better as a country and as a people than the criminals and charlatans leading us into what could be a meat grinder for both our military and for countless civilians for what could be the foreseeable future. I'm not saying I got the answers to what has been our own forever war in the Middle East, but I know one thing that people of conscience need to do. None of us want this war except the people that instigated it, and somehow are finding the trillions of dollars necessary to prosecute it after somehow not finding it in the budget to get us health care, infrastructure, education, or anything we truly need. If you really feel this way the same as I do, you need to register to vote, follow through, and vote this fall. It is literally the most important thing you can do in your lifetime, besides getting all your friends and family to vote against this too. Remember, while the war we play is a game, don't let them play war games with our lives. Make your voice heard, be loud, and stay safe. This was Last Minute Rant. And that will just about do it for this final episode. Hopefully not, but probably the final episode of War Council. This was episode 52, of course, the very last one. Hunter, did you have anything you wanted to add to this before we go? Um, well, I'm not sure. Like, I've always, I've loved working here at White Metal Games. I've loved it. I wouldn't, uh... This has been the dream job, really, for like as as long as I've been working here, sort of on and off again. I've never disliked working here. I know I mentioned it in the blog post that I'm making for my last blog post. This was like hitting the lottery twice. Yeah. Getting to be creative for a living and being able to be creative about gaming. I don't expect an opportunity like that will happen again, at least not here in Raleigh. Yeah. It's like it's... I kind of hit us with a bit of melancholy here at the end, and I don't want to end on a melancholy note, because you're still here for a few more months, and while I'm going to be leaving this week, I still want to get the idea that Caleb might have me come back and do the occasional thing for you guys. So it's not the end. Not entirely. Just the end of things as they are now. Yeah. I had something I forgot. I was going to say, going to a bit more of a a brighter note, I am eagerly anticipating the next lo- the next plot developments for Warhammer in both uh, Fantasy, sorry, in both Age of Sigmar and 40k. I want to see what new models they're going to come out with. I love these kit-bashing opportunities. I've had a few stirring around in my head at the moment. So even though my own, my own streams are ending here soon, I'm not going to stop making my own creations. I'll probably keep posting them in the Facebook as long as there's as long as there's an audience. I will say I will probably keep up with some of the plot lines myself, even after I'm not being paid to. In what I've learned, I've found a couple of things that I think I would like to lo- know more about later on. So I found in this franchise, like, uh, just just for depictions, just, just for comparison, like, there's a lot to love about the Warhammer setting. The stuff I, in this, that I haven't, been this into since I was following the, the Star Wars expanded universe back in the early 2000s. Like this was a, this is so like a rediscovery or a um, sort of filling a that sort of uh, hole 
that Star Wars sized hole in my heart since the uh, the universe kind of got redacted. Yeah. And it's just nice to find all the, this amazing amount of material and story and just sort of background to work with. Indeed. Well, we are about to lose the studio here to our people who need to get other stuff recorded in the space. So I want to thank you all for listening and sticking with us as long as you have. I hope that you get to hear us again. As always, my name's Edward Winterrose. My name's Hunter, and have a happy new year. All of you stay safe, and like always, roll crits. I don't want to go. Well, I'm certainly grateful for this magnificent washout, a turnout, and uh, now I'd like to say a few words. Hello? I must be going. I cannot stay. I came to say I must be going. I'm glad I came, but just the same, I must be going. La la. Frank.